0: Many years ago, uh, my family and I heard word that uh, a family friend had a place at North Myrtle Beach and they weren't going to be able to use it. And so they called and they said, would you like to use our condo in North Myrtle Beach for the week? And we said, oh sure, when is it available? And they said, today. So we packed our stuff and we went to the beach because you don't often get opportunities like that to be able to go and stay at the beach for free. So we drove down to the beach and we had our son Elijah, he was very young, he was starting to walk, but the sand is kind of difficult to walk on, and so we were out on the beach having a great time, and Elijah and I were playing in the sand, and uh, you know, we are just kind of enjoying the beautiful weather and hearing the, ra- the waves roll in and all that, and down the beach came this teenage girl uh, in a bathing suit, and she looked a little frantic, And Enough that it made me a little concerned and it made me a little worried. And so while I was paying attention to my son, I was also noticing this girl who was not quite running, but also not walking down the beach. And she just looked like she was coming for us. And the closer she got, the more frightened and scared she looked. And then I started to get worried. So much so that when she came right up to me, I said, Are you okay? Is everything all right? In my head, I'm thinking she's gotten separated from her family or something horrible has happened. She got trapped out in the water and she's down. I mean, I don't know what happened. I said, are you okay? She said, yeah, yeah. Can I ask you a question? I'm thinking, do I have my phone? Do I need a call? Like, what's going on? She said, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah, yeah. What's up? She said, do you know Jesus? I said, yes, I do. She said, really, you know him? I said, yeah, I talk about him all the time. In fact, I talk about him at least once a week. She said, really? I said, and get this, people pay me to talk about him. She said, so you really know Jesus? And I said, yeah, I'm a a pastor. She said, oh, well, I'm glad to hear that. And then she went to the next family down the beach. And the family after that, and the family after that, and the family after that. A few minutes later, her father was following her, and he came up and... He said, how did she do? I said, at what? And he said, "Uh, evangelizing. I said, oh, that's what you're doing. You're going up and down the beach to ask people if they know Jesus. How's that working? He said, oh, it doesn't matter if it works. Jesus says we have to be witnesses even to the ends of the earth. When that happened, it reminded me of the story I heard once about an older woman. She was at her, you know, in her parlor in her house, kind of, knitting or crocheting or something and she heard a knock at the door and when she opened it there were two young men in, you know long black pants and a short sleeve white button-up shirt with skinny ties and they were holding bibles in their hands and they said ma'am we have a question and she said yes what's your question and they said um have you found jesus and she said what has he gone missing (laughs) have you found jesus do you know jesus I i love these sorts of questions i think they're a little funny and a bit odd, but they're good for today, for the Feast of the Ascension. The Ascension is this time in the life of the church where we, we give praise to God for the fact that Jesus ascended to rule at the right hand of the Father. It, it sort of answers the question, where is Jesus? He's ruling over the cosmos. But it's also important for us to think about what he asks the disciples to do before he ascends. He says, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses even to the ends of the earth. Our Scripture today is that story. It's Acts chapter 1 verses 6 through 14. Hear now God's word. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up. A cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, and John, and James, and Andrew, and Philip, and Thomas, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What now, Lord? What now? Is this the time when you will finally restore the kingdom to Israel? Here on the other side of Easter, these disciples, they still don't get it. They're as dumb as a box of hammers. They haven't gotten it through their thick skulls, which is made worse by the fact that they've had 40 days of instruction with Jesus after Easter, and they still have this question, is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus does his Jesus thing. He sort of answers their question, but he doesn't answer it. It's not for you to know the time, but the Holy Spirit's coming. You're going to receive power. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, even to the ends of the earth. And then he ascends to rule at the right hand of God the Father. Somehow they don't get it. They still don't see it. How Jesus' death and resurrection has already restored the kingdom. That the rules and regulations of the old world no longer apply because a strange new world is here and we're all living in it. The disciples are dumbfounded. So dumbfounded when Jesus ascends that they're they're craning their necks and they're just looking up into the sky. These two figures in white robes appear and they say, why are you lost in the clouds? Jesus has ascended. He will return. And So Luke tells us through Acts that the disciples go to Jerusalem. They devote themselves to praying and to waiting. The ascension is a weird moment in the already weird thing we call the Bible. It's far too often overlooked. Yes, sure, we come together on Christmas. We come together on Easter. But the ascension... It's important it was once a high and holy day in the life of the church rounding out the season of eastertide in the liturgical calendar now if we hear about the ascension at all it's usually just when we see a marvelous piece of art of jesus kind of floating in the sky with holes in his hands and his feet we had a bible study this week here at the church and we were talking about this text and i wasn't planning on it but i just asked everyone in the bible say Have you ever heard about the ascension in worship? Have you ever heard about this? And it was blank stares. And how can you blame people? I mean, if you just take a a cursory glance around, you can see that all is not well in the world. Things are not as they ought to be. And if things are as bad as they are, why does Jesus ascend away from us, leaving us with this mess of a world that we have? Karl Barth noted that this is A moment of Jesus' Lordship. It's a reminder that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God, that he ascends to rule, and it's not time for idleness. This is when we're commissioned to be the church. There's no rest possible. Here is a running and a racing. The start of the church for the world, in the world. The ascension, it breaks into our time. This thing we call the time being. It's when Jesus tells us what to do. You shall be my witnesses. To the ends of the earth. And so what do the disciples do as Jesus' witnesses? What do they do as he ascends? Do they take up their makeshift posters and begin protesting outside the temple gates? Do they boycott the money lending practices that are happening inside the temple? Do they make a call to arms and storm the temple? Oh, they don't do any of that. They wait and they pray. It's a bit odd. I think we might expect that having witnessed miracle after miracle, the disciples would do something a little more effective than waiting and praying. In our age of activity and backlash and then backlash to the backlash, it would make sense to do something to get out, get involved. But their first work is to wait, to pray. Contrary to how we might imagine it or how the world even imagines it, waiting and praying is not empty handed. Jesus' disciples wait in hope, knowing that Jesus rules. They pray for God's intervention into this broken world of ours. It's not easy to wait and pray, I think, despite how easy it might sound. It's countercultural. It's even dangerous. In our frenetic and fast-paced culture, waiting and praying sounds like the opposite of what we're supposed to do. I know a church that a number of years ago they were considering a building expansion it in the 90s and they thought you know what the church needs the church needs a gym you ever heard of a church that wanted to build a gym before it's this thing that happened in the 90s like every church said hey you know what we need we need a gymnasium and most of the churches didn't have enough property to do it so they could only build like a three-quarter gym you know what's really fun playing basketball with only one hoop There's this church and they they have enough property, they want to build a gym and they have this big congregational meeting and they start to talk about how much it's gonna cost and what it will look like, how long it will take. And they put it to a vote, a vote among the congregation. They tally up all the votes. And at the end of the tally, 55% of the church were in favor of the building expansion, in favor of the gym. And 45% said, we don't want the gym. So the chair of the, the committee that was putting this together stood up and said, well, we have the votes, 55 in favor, 45%. Against, So it's clear that we can't go forward on this. And somebody from the 55% said, excuse me, what do you mean it's not clear? We have 55% of the vote. That's a majority. That's how they do things in Congress. (laughs) To which the chair of the committee said, and how's that going for them? Sometimes there are things worth waiting for, even if it seems like a decision has been made. 55% of people telling 45% of people doesn't result in anything getting done. It just means half of the people are going to resent the other half of the people. Sometimes waiting and praying is the only thing we can do because it's the only thing that works. Waiting and praying reminds us that we're not in charge, that there are some things we need help with. Sometimes we need God to do for us that which we cannot do for ourselves. So we pray for things like discernment, for help in making a decision, for the knowledge of what we should and shouldn't do. We pray for courage, the strength to act according to our prayers. We pray for witness, for the willingness to live our lives according to the light of grace. And we can pray. We can pray because we know that Jesus does listen and interact and intercede on our behalf. Jesus rules from the oval office of the cosmos. Jesus can make a way where there is no way. And most of the time we act as if it's only up to us. We rush in thinking we know best, we know what to do, we know how to accomplish it, and if that's what we do, we will only ever accomplish that which we can accomplish, which isn't much. 55% of people telling 45% of people what to do. Just because we think we know what must be done doesn't guarantee that we will ever even do it. We always choose to do things we know we shouldn't. We avoid doing things we know we should. Paul says, I do not do the good I want. The evil I do not want to do is what I do. Wretched man that I am. Who will save me from this? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The movement that Jesus begins in his ascension, the movement that's the adventure we call church, is made up by people like us, who know that we actually have all the time in the world Our time is made possible by God's patience to challenge the world's impatience by waiting and praying. The gift of the ascension, then, is Christ's way of helping us remember that we can wait and pray, that it's not up to us alone. It's a gift, that we can rely not just on ourselves, but each other and on God, that waiting and praying is a gift. So we're going to do it. Like, literally right now, we're going to do it. (laughs) I've always found prayer to be both, like, a beautiful and wonderful and also just completely confounding thing. Uh, You know, I was talking during the children's message about learning how to play the drums because someone was willing to hold my hands with sticks and show me where to put things. I I never learned to pray that way. I I didn't have someone who say, okay, this is what you do. You have to put your hands together just like this, and you have to say these certain words, and... Um, Some of those youth or children we had earlier during vacation Bible school, I asked them what it looks like to pray and every single one of them did this. And then I said, well, and then what do you say? And I said, oh, you're supposed to talk to God. I said, that's true. You have a better understanding of prayer than I did when I was a kid. It's not just about talking to God. It's about expressing something deep inside, a longing, a desire for things uh, that we need. You know, often I'll ask some of our youth, what they would like me to pray for. And every once in a while, one of them will say, can you pray that I get a 98 on my test this week so that I can get an A in the class? And I smile and I say, no, I won't pray for that because you don't need God's help to get the 98. That one's on you. Uh, It doesn't do us good to pray for things that are within our possibility. Uh, We pray because we need God to make possible something we can't do on our own. And sometimes God answers those prayers in ways we can scarcely imagine. Sometimes God answers them through other people who show up who ask the right questions who bring us a meal when we need it, all sorts of things and sometimes it takes God a while to answer our prayers often I find God's time and our time are not the same thing so in just a moment I'm going to pray for us as a church and then we're going to take those cards that I hope all of you got if you don't have one I have some more I found these in the pastor's desk when i moved in two years ago i have about five thousand of them downstairs Uh, it's a nice you know piece of stationery of the church from a while ago you can tell that that's not what the church looks like anymore it's a little different Uh, but after i pray for us we're going to take time to each write down a a prayer our own prayer that you don't have to show anybody you don't have to tell anybody uh, but we're going to write it down in this card and we're going to fold it up and then you're not allowed to look at it for six months I have a a good friend. Every time he prays, he writes down his prayers, and then he won't go back to them for six months. Because after six months, he says he's always able to go back and read those prayers, and he can see how God has answered every one of them. It's almost never the way that that he wanted God to answer those prayers, but sometimes it takes time, perspective, hindsight, to be able to look back and say, oh, God did do it. It wasn't exactly what I was thinking it would be or even hoping it would be, but somehow God showed up in the way that I needed it. So before we, talk, or before we tackle individual prayers or individual needs, what do, we, what do we think we need to be praying for corporately? What do we think we need to be praying for in terms of being a community, being a community of faith as a church, a community like here in Grandin, in this area of Roanoke? What do you think we need to be praying for together? Not a rhetorical question. What should we pray for? Safety of, our Safety of our community. I would like to pray that God would strike our hardened hearts in such a way that children wouldn't have to be afraid to go to school anymore. What else should we be praying for? A vision for our church, a vision for our church community. That's maybe something a little bit better than loving God, loving others, transforming the world. I mean, good, good idea. Easier said than done. What else should we be praying for? Yeah, Robert. Revival. Holy Spirit-filled revival. Mm-hmm. What else should we be praying for? Mm-hmm. Seeing beyond just what we need as individuals, but to what other people might need. What else should we pray for? Passion and hope? Well, then let me pray for us. Lord, we confess that at times it seems like life is just one thing after another. And yet there are these moments, these exciting moments of hope and purpose, of grace and mercy, of revival that show up unexpected, obliquely from around the side where we're struck in our hearts. Sometimes it's through a song that through melody and lyric speak what we need to hear. Sometimes it's a conversation with a friend or even a foe who helps us to hear what needs to be received. Sometimes it happens in a book or a movie or a show where all of a sudden we see things clearly. And yet we know, Lord, that not all is as it should be. That whether we look out at the world around us or we turn on the news or doom scroll through Twitter, things are not as they should be. We, of course, know, Lord, that you can use us to be present, to speak truth in the midst of those things. But we need more than that. We need a reckoning. We need your spirit to be poured out, not just on us, but on all flesh. That we might see how peace, though difficult, is the only way. That if we take this thing called church seriously, there is no such thing as loneliness anymore. That we have an understanding, a direction of who we are, but whose we are and where you want us to go. So make a way, O Lord, where there is no way. Speak your truth to those who are ready for it and even those who are not. Above all, let your will be done. Nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. And all God's people say, amen. amen. We're going to come back to these in just a second. Uh, a great gift here at the church regarding prayer, uh, in particular with Eric Anderson, who was standing here just a few minutes ago, uh, is that our youth at the church rewrote the Lord's Prayer during Lent. Each of them individually rewrote the Lord's Prayer. And we've been collecting them together and praying them together as a church every Sunday during Eastertide. So uh, let us go to the Lord now and pray the Lord's Prayer according to one of the youth of our church. And remember, before we pray it, somebody in the youth listened very carefully to a certain pastor who preached on the Lord's Prayer one Sunday. I talked about how Jesus starts a lot of what he says with the word Amen, just as much as he finishes with the word Amen, because the word Amen just means this is true. So we use it at the beginning and at the end. So let's pray this prayer together. Amen. Creator who art in heaven, hallowed be his name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our communal daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom power, glory, and love forever. Amen. Is invite the band back to the chancel area for our time of offering, our time of response. This is also our time uh, for our own individual prayers. Again, I encourage you as you are able, as you see fit, whatever prayer that you write down, it's just for you. You don't have to show it to anybody. You don't have to tell anybody about it. Uh, but I encourage you to, to actually write down a prayer for something that is not currently within your control, something that you can't accomplish by your own merits, uh, something that is outside the realm of possibility just for you. So while the band plays our song for this time of offering, use it as an opportunity to pray, write down what that prayer is, and then perhaps on the back, write down November 21st, because I think if I counted correctly, that's six months from today. Don't look at this prayer again. Put it somewhere, make a notification on your phone. Hey, check that prayer that I hid under my mattress or in a drawer somewhere, whatever it is. Uh, But write down this prayer and don't look at it for six months. And then six months from now, perhaps when you open it, you'll be fortunate enough to see, oh, that's what I prayed for? I couldn't even remember. I was so consumed by that thing six months ago. Oh, and maybe I can see how God showed up.